My name is David Wing, and I've had the honor of pastoring the Dover Foursquare Church for almost 25 years. We have targeted our gatherings to minister to the Lord, the saints, and the world. First, through singing, praise, and receiving the word, we pursue ministering to Him. Second, we pursue interactive involvement with each person present. Fellowship before and after the service helps, but each believer must be personally involved if he is to become equipped to fulfill his role as an agent of Jesus in life's marketplace. We want to be a congregation that gives place to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a congregation committed to the systematic and edifying teaching of God's Word. We want to be a congregation devoted to the exercise of Holy Spirit-inspired worship. It is our prayer that the message you hear today will assist you in realizing the possibilities God has for you and that your journey with him will be one of abundance. The, the Lord's been speaking to us a lot here from January on, the strategic planning. It has nothing to do with us trying to get our heads together and come up with ideas. It's us opening up and finding out what God wants to do so we can step out with him. Can you say Amen. You know what I think is, one thing, just on a side note here before I get to the message, you know when Peter, one of the things that happened when, in the early church is that, uh, of course there were healings and miracles, but one thing that was very interesting uh, concerning Peter, it says that people were even trying to get under his shadow to be healed. How many read that in the book of Acts? Have you read that? <laughs> How many want an anointed shadow? Of course that doesn't work on cloudy days, I don't know. But an anointed shadow, it wasn't so much his shadow, but he was walking in step with the Lord. And it was the shadow of the Almighty healing people. So that's what we want to do. And the thought that I have in my heart today, uh, the title is, Where's That City? And we're going to look a little bit at some things in the Old Testament, because I believe through the Old Testament, in fact, the Old Testament is what the early church had to read, isn't it? You see, they, they didn't open up the King James Bible when Paul was preaching and, 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 and give a message from it. They, all they had was the Old Testament scriptures. And I believe there's great revelation. Not, the Old Testament is not a history book. How many can say amen to that? <laughs> I mean, it is history. I mean, it's a sad history. If you, look at, if you take that as your history book, Israel has a sad history. But it's not just history. The Old Testament is God's blueprints of what he wants to do. And we can see so much in it. And so what, we're going, what I want to look at today is, is starting off in the book of Hebrews and looking at the life of Abraham. Here's where I'm getting my thought from, and we'll get, it to, get into that in just a minute. But God called Abraham, if you can go to the next slide. God called Abraham, and it says in Hebrews 11, in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called... He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And listen to this. He went out not knowing where he was going. Now, how many wives have husbands that drive like that? (laughs) My wife could tell you how many times I get lost. And she says, why don't you just stop and ask somebody? No, I can do this, you know. (laughs) Can you imagine? They didn't have GPS or maps. Even if they had all that... Abraham had no idea where he was going, did he? He didn't know. He just walking. I can't even understand that. Can you imagine? He comes home and says, well, well Sarah, pack it all up. We're going to go. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> but what, kind of, what, what's, what is she going to do with that? 
You know, no wonder she had problems a little later on, you know, just all those struggles. But the thing is, is that he obeyed. You know, Hebrews 11, well, here, those of us in Ohio, we know what the football hall of fame is, right? Well, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. You know, it's interesting that about almost one-third of these verses is all about Abraham, and that makes sense because he's the father of faith, isn't it? But he went out not knowing where he was going. And go to the next slide. It says, and even, listen to this, even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there. Now we're talking about when he came into Canaan, the promised land, when God said, this is the land, it says that he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. Even when he was in that land, I mean, this, God says, I'm going to give you this land for an inheritance. I mean, if you knew you were going to get an inheritance, you'd go out there and, you know, put your flag in the ground and start building. Abraham didn't do that. And I want to point out, I want to just sidetrack just for a moment here, because there's an important truth I want to bring out. Not only did Abraham live in tents, but read this last part with me. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. I want to point out something about Abraham. Go to the next slide. Abraham knew what it was to have, to, to, he had a desire to have a godly heritage. He wanted his children to receive all that God had for them. And Abraham lived a life and he commanded or he brought his children into that also. How many know that parenting is important to God? Right? Now, one of the, I, I, I've just been blessed as a children's pastor, and I guess that's my sidetrack right now perhaps, but I've been blessed not just only here, but we had our own school in San Francisco. It was a Christian school. And uh, the, the working with children, and sometimes homes are broken, homes have problems, but being able to work with children and put something special inside of them, and it's called the Word of God. How many parents know how important it is to put this Word in the lives of your children? You know, we live in a day and age now where children tell parents what to do. Isn't that right? And, and sometimes we, we don't want to be too strict. We don't want to be too tough. And, you know, well, you know, uh, Susie comes home and says, well, Dad, my, my friends all do this. Why can't I? Well, I guess if your friends do it, I guess you should too, right? That's, that's kind of how we do things nowadays. I, I trust that's not true of us here, but, but that's how people are living nowadays. They're, they're, they're letting children do what they want. There's no rules. I mean, there's laws against being too strict with children, aren't there? It's a, it's a strange society we live in, and it's anti-family. Thank God for people that are getting a hold of God's word and realize that family is an institute that God has ordained. How important, how important is parenting to the Lord? I want to show you what God spoke about Abraham. Look at this. This is just before God was going to, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because there, it was just so perverse and so wicked there that he was going to bring fire down. But before he did it, look what God says. And this is Genesis 18. God said, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? In other words, should, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? That, God's talking. He's talking with himself. He's saying, Should I tell Abraham? Hmm. 
seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. And look at this next verse, verse 19. For I know him, look at this, read this with me, okay? For I know him, wait, just think for a minute. That's God speaking about Abraham. How many of you would like God to say that about you? I know Lisa. I know Marcus. I know, because I know him. And what did God know about Abraham? Let's read the rest of it. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. God knew that there was a solidness, a firmness, something solid in Abraham's life that his children were going to be ordered to walk in the way he was walking. And that was so precious to God that God couldn't even keep secrets from him. Parenting is important. Go to the next screen. You know, this is a a scripture that Israel, the Jews, use. It's it's a very important part of their scripture. It's almost like their their, uh, victory cry. They start off by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Let's read this together, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, we know that part. We've heard it. We know it's in the New Testament. And sometimes we just stop there. But if you, but the, if you continue reading, you can find out really what it means or how do you love God like that? How do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? How do you do that? The next few verses explain it very clearly. Let's read it out loud together. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And they shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. When that list there at the end, is there any time you shouldn't be talking God's word? (laughs) That kind of includes everything, doesn't it? How important this word is. How are we going to show God we love him the way Abraham did? Putting the word, putting God's, uh, God's heart as we know it into the heart of our children. Parenting is important. Let me just go one step further. There's a beautiful story in Jeremiah. This is really interesting. I got to get some wine. It says drink wine there. <laughs> you know, I was at the doctor's this past week and in... He was saying, you know, for some certain situations of, you know, what was it? I don't even know. My wife, she has to sit in the doctor's office and interpret all this stuff for me. But whatever it was, he says, you know, uh, what some people do is they take a little wine each day. Now, some people would say, oh, that's, that's great. I'll take that recipe. <laughs> great prescription, doctor. I'll start doing that. But I, I looked at him. I said, let me, let me ask a question, doctor. I said, you see, take a little wine each day. Okay. I kid, is there any difference in your, as far as you know, between the grape juice and the wine? I mean, same fruit, right? He goes, well, yeah, but wine's more fun. <laughs> I said, well, I think I'll stay with the grape juice. I already have enough fun with the Lord. I, you know. But let me bring out this story. This is Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a very sad ministry. All he did was cry and cry. He had a very sad message to give to Israel because they had already gone too far and it was time for them to be taken into captivity. And that's what Jeremiah told them. It's time to go into captivity. But one of the things that God did, and this is one of the object lessons God gave to Jeremiah, 
he said this to Jeremiah, go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. That just sounds like a crazy thing to do, but it's God talking, it's God's word. So uh, what does he do? Jeremiah says, Then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. Now, first of all, you need to understand that uh, not so much in this country, but in other countries, if you go to someone's house and they offer you something, it's one of the most rudest things you can do to say, I don't really want anything right now. Anybody ever been to another country and had been experienced that? Here, you know, people don't even offer anything sometimes, you know. But you go, when I was over in India, every house we went to, I mean, I, I didn't even know. We had to eat a meal. Every house we went and visited people, every, it was a whole, they had, they had to set food before us. And, and uh, I finally learned, I finally learned that if you, and my mom raised me to always have a clean plate. And I, what I was realizing is that every time I cleaned my plate off, they would put more. And I realized the only way for them not to put more food on was for me to leave something there. And that was so against the way I was raised. But I finally learned because I mean, every place we went, we had to eat. Well, that's just hospitality. That's how you show you know, politeness to them. So same for them. When Jeremiah said, drink wine, I mean, that, they should have just said, thank you and take it. But look what they said. They said, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab The son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you or your sons forever. You shall not build a house, you shall not sow seed, you shall not plant a vineyard or own one, but in tents you shall dwell all your days, so that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he commanded us. Think about this. Not that we're not talking about wine or not wine today, okay, don't get... That's not the point. The point here is that they were doing what their father told them. Not only wine, but they weren't even living in houses. And they weren't sowing seed. They were living in tents like pilgrims. Their father said, this is the way our family does it. And you know what? They obeyed. And Jeremiah was, he he was surprised. And of course, the message was God's own people weren't giving him that kind of honor. He was speaking to them and they weren't listening But look what God says about the Rechabites. And the Rechabites did this for many years. And God said this about them. After using this object illustration to speak harshly to the Israelites and the Jews, saying, this is what you've done. You've you've disobeyed. You haven't listened to me. But the Rechabites, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. Did somebody else say, wow? Wow. <laughs> wow, think about that. And I was looking it up, and I, I don't know how true the story is, but as I was Googling a lot of these things, they said they found some people even today that are claiming to be Rechabites. <laughs> At any rate, the thing is, is that God honored obedience to parents. Sometimes as parents, we feel it's a selfish thing to make our children obey. We don't realize, look at the next verse in Ephesians. This is what Paul says. Children, let's read this together. My, I should have my daughter come up and read it for you. She's, she knows it by heart. Where's Abigail? There's, okay. Children, obey your parents. Uh, this is what I would say just before I, it was time for the rod of correction. Now, we'd go through this verse. <laughs> children, obey your parents. 
I'll calm down, say it right. Children, obey me. this is right. Okay, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Excuse me. Think about that for a minute. What's the purpose of correcting children? Is it because they're getting on our nerves and we can't take it anymore? Is it because they're messing up our house? Or is it because, hey, we want things to go well with them? Right? right? Isn't that a better idea? Then it's not a selfish idea. That's what, that's what kind of that parenting thing looks like in the world. You're just being selfish. You want your kids to be like you. You want your kids to... No, no, no. We want them to learn to honor parents because God honors parenting. And it'll be good for them. Amen? All right, can we come back to the message now? That was a little side dish there. I didn't, I wanted to get to it because I think it's important, especially one thing is precious here in this church that we've walked into, and I, I appreciate something. We're, we're just walking into the children's ministry. It's already been here. How many know there's been an awesome children's ministry here for many years? Deb Sparks and Judy and Bob, so many others. And, it, and it's awesome. I've met so many people that say, I remember I went to Good News Bears, you know, and, and the stories they tell. There's an awesome work here, and it's a, I believe this is a great ministry to continue, and I just know God has great things in the future for us that way. Let's go back, at, and the question I want to ask, and this goes with the title of my message, uh, Where's That City? The question I want to ask is why were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob living as pilgrims? Why didn't they just, this is that land God gave them, why didn't they just settle down and build houses? Why were they living as pilgrims? Look at the verse. Hebrews tells us the reason. We don't understand it much from the Old Testament. We can see the evidence of it, but we don't understand it there. And Hebrews gives us the revelation says this, what was Abraham doing? For he looked for a city. Let's read it together. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In the New Living Translation, it says it like this. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Not only did God design it, but he's the only one who can build it. And, but that's what I want to focus on today. Where is that city? Where is that city? Here's something really interesting. Look at the next slide. Something amazing here. These, referring to, and this is Hebrews talking about all these men of faith, specifically Abraham, who was looking for that city. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And next, next slide. All these, this is at the end of Hebrews 11, all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Listen to this. Read this part with me there. God having provided some What has God provided for us? Some better thing. Wow. Look at the next screen. Do, do we realize the times we're living in? We're living in such 
blessed times. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the next one, the 1 Corinthians 10, it says this, that you and I, in fact, all that's been written, everything in the Old Testament, all of these things has been written for our instruction because it's upon us that the end of the age has come. You, got, you and I are in a time of the, full, the fullness of times, we could call it. This is a time we're living in the last days. We're living in the days of that promise. We're living in the days of what God came to do, what God has planned for. Paul says that the, the, the prophets, the, the Old Testament saints of old, they, they talked about it, they looked at it, they prophesied of it. But you and I are living in it. Does it feel like it? We're living in blessed times. We're living in the church age. We're living in a time when God is doing something wonderful, building the church. Let's go on to the next screen. Jacob, Isaac, lived in tents. Jacob, Joseph, and it says, Joseph, look what, even after being down in Egypt, and Joseph had a high rank there. I mean, he succeeded. He had a tremendous position of power and authority. He had everything in Egypt. But what did he do? When he was dying, and his brothers came to him, of course, they thought he was going to throw them all in jail because their dad was dead. He thought, they thought Joseph was going to do away with him. And Joseph said, no, 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 you meant it for evil, God meant it for good to save much people alive as it is today. He knew there was a reason all that happened. And beyond that, he gave commandment. It says, by faith, this is Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, when he died, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. He knew they weren't going to stay in Egypt. And he gave commandment concerning his bones. Several hundred years later, when Israelites then left, Moses led them out they took Joseph's bones with them. Did you know that? Yes. Now that's, that's what you mean. That's what, I guess you could say he had, the wor- he had the word in his bones. Think about that for a minute. Next screen. And time went on. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Passover, the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, They get marching order. They receive the Ten Commandments, beautiful pictures and types, and all of those things for us. Next screen. And then something happens in Deuteronomy chapter 12. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, Moses gives instructions about a place. Moses says there's going to be, or God says, there's going to be a place There's going to be a place, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy 12, and it says it several times in this chapter. For ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth. You see, Moses, in Deuteronomy, Moses is right on the brink of entering into the promised land. He's right there. It's time to go in. Moses is not allowed to go in. Imagine that. But he's giving them instructions. He says, now listen, you're going to go in. You haven't gone in yet, but you're going to go into that promised land, the land the Lord has promised us. But when you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, read this part with me, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Remember, wasn't Abraham looking for a place? (laughs) All right. 
Let's go to the next screen. Well, Joshua conquers the land, divides it up. They begin to live there and they inherit the promised land. There's the several hundred years of judges. Samuel was the last judge. King Saul became king. And during all that time, the big question is, is anybody looking for that place? Didn't Moses say there was supposed to be a place where God was going to put his name? Nobody found it. Nobody knew about it. Nobody was looking for it until King David. Let's look at this next screen. I want you to see this. After Saul died, the men of Judah came and anointed David as king over Judah only. He reigned in Hebron for seven and a half years. And then Saul's son, who was still trying to reign, his name was Ishbosheth, he is, he's assassinated. And, and then all of Israel comes to David and says, David, we want you to reign over us now. We want you to be our king. And they anointed David as king over all of Israel. And the very same chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 5, that same chapter, King David finds the place. But how many of you know what the name of that place is? Do you know what it was? It's a place today. Pray for the peace of? What's the name of that place? That's right. But the thing was is that that city at that time was inhabited by another nation called the Jebusites. They had been there. Now, God had told Joshua, God had told through Moses and Joshua, God had said, get rid of all these other nations. You can't allow them to be in this land. Well, they tried, but they, they had difficulty driving some of them out. And the Jebusites were stuck there in this place. And David understood something. We'll see in just a little bit. But David understood something. And he's, the very first thing he did when he became king over all of Israel is he said, let's go and take that city. David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. And the Jebusites taunted David saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame can keep you out. They, you see, the Jebusites had lived there all during the time of, of, of Joshua, all throughout the time of the judges. They had lived there forever. And, and, and even while David was doing all his thing, they had lived there confidently. And now David says he's going to conquer them. David knew what he wanted. David knew that was the place. And so what does David say? What does David do? It says, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. David conquered that city. Okay, let's go to the next screen. David had a heart for God. It says this, Lord, remember David and all that he suffered He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, the sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. David knew there had to be a place for God. How many think David must have read Deuteronomy 12? David sings about, you know, the, the longest, who can tell me, what's the longest psalm in the book of Psalms? 19. Huh? 119. How many verses? 176. <laughs> I know because every time I get to that, my, that time of reading, I say, oh no, it's Psalms 119 for my devotions today. <laughs> Got to take a few extra minutes here. But I love Psalms 119 because you know what it's about? Loving the word. David loved the word. 
And the heart of David was he wanted, in fact, it's Psalms 132 that shows us this, he wanted that place so bad for God. He wanted that place. And he took it, conquered it, and that became the Jerusalem we talk about today. Of course, that's the earthly Jerusalem. And how many know the earthly Jerusalem? Well, Don knows. He's taught it so much here. Fig tree update. The earthly Jerusalem is a very important place still in God's mind. As important as the earthly Jerusalem is to God's timetable, the heavenly Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem, is just as important and more so. Can you all say more so? so. Let me say that again. As important as the earthly Jerusalem is to God's timetable, even more so, the spiritual Jerusalem is important in God's timetable. How many know the Lord's coming back soon? Okay, let me just take a few more steps here real quick. God, David couldn't build the temple in that city, but before he died, listen to this, before he died, you can read about it in First Chronicles, David provided everything. He provided everything, and not only did he just provide everything, but he made a rule, it says this in First Chronicles, he made a rule that in every battle the Israelites would fight from then on, there would spoils, be, any spoils that was taken from those battles, it would be placed in a special building fund for restoring and maintaining the house of God. He made preparations for everything, all the materials. If you read all the abundance of what he provided, the materials, the iron, the stone, everything he provided, he says, not only have I got the people to give for it, but of my own substance I gave also. He gave everything. He said, with all my might, I am providing. These are all scriptures in First Chronicles. Beautiful verses to read, chapters 22 through, uh, through 29. Not only did he provide materials, but he provided all the workmen, everyone need, everyone skilled in different kinds of building. He got them organized. He prepared them. He did everything for that. And not only that, but even the plans for the tabernacle. Most, uh, David says, God wrote upon me these plans. And he told, he told his son Solomon, Solomon, be strong. Rise up and build. I've provided everything for you. So what does that have to do with us? Beautiful story, right? Well, let's think about who, G- who uh, King David really represents for us. Nick, who's our King David? Jesus. That's right. He's Jesus. He was anointed. Jesus has been anointed, just like David. He's, he was anointed right after the Holy Spirit came down at his baptism. He said, this day the Lord has anointed me. Peter said that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. He was anointed not only as, as king, but as prophet and priest. He was anointed. Next, next verse. And our David, our king, has found the city, just like David did. In his love, like David had love for the city, in his love, Jesus gave himself on the cross to purchase it. What does that city speak about? Well, we know that there's going to be a heavenly new Jerusalem. Who is that new Jerusalem? The church. Jesus loves the church. Now, we know he loves us individually, but he loves the church. 
He purchased it. Acts 20, 28. He, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Next screen. Not only that, but like King David did, Jesus has made full provision for everything we need to see this church built. Can you say amen to that? What I want you to see today is how important, and we're not just talking, of course, about Dover Foursquare Church. We're just a church family. But what I want you to see, I want, I want somehow, this is the desire of my heart in sharing this today. I want somehow for us to understand or have an elevated view of what church is. Pastor's been preaching for the past few weeks that church is not a social club. It's not a gathering. It's not some place you just come and watch and enjoy and go home and say, well, wasn't that nice? There is a purpose. He gave himself for the church. He poured out his blood. He loves the church. He gave himself for the church. He didn't just die for the forgiveness of sins. He did that, of course. But he died to bring us into that church. Oh, God has purpose for us. Just coming on Sundays is not what he planned. It's more than that. The city is the bride of Christ. Let me just read these verses real quick. Read it with me. This is from Revelation. You can see the relationship here. We understand that the church is the bride of Christ. We understand that the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem. It's a lot of metaphors, a lot of pictures, word pictures. You know, the more word pictures God gives to something shows how important it is to him. Can you say amen? Just like Jesus. How many names does Jesus have? (laughs) For us to understand how wonderful he is. The same for the church. It's referred to as an army, as a body, as a temple, as a city, as a bride. Jesus loves the church. Revelation 21. John is taken up to a high mountain. And an angel says, let's read this together. Come here. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And what happened? He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. In Hebrews, uh, next scripture, in Hebrews it says, you've, not, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all. You thought you were coming to Dover Foursquare Church today. Now you're coming to the church of the firstborn. You're coming to the assembly of God. You're coming to a place, and there's a purpose for all of this. There's a purpose for preaching, even though the Bible calls it foolishness, right? (laughs) There's a purpose. When the pastor brings a word, that word is our life. That's the word that washes us for the days to come until we hear a new word. Can you say amen? Amen. There's a purpose for our activities. It's not just to keep us busy. Some people have the idea, well, let's just keep everybody busy, so busy they don't know what they're doing, you know. Just as long as they can keep busy doing something, we can keep them coming, you know. We've got to think of something for them. Let's invent new activities so we can keep them coming to church. And everybody's running around doing all kinds of things. Whoa, yeah, whoa, this is a great church. (gasps) What am I doing? You know, we don't understand. It's not about a lot of activity. It's about getting God to work in and through us to accomplish things here in this, in this, on this earth, here in this community. But even more so, he's doing something in us. 
There's going to be some. Well, let me just go one step further. Next slide. Question we want to ask ourselves Have we found that city? Have we found it? First of all, unless a person's been born again, unless you've experienced a new birth, you can't even see. You talk to people outside uh, that aren't saved, talk to them about church, and they just see it as an organization, don't they? I mean, that's how you saw it before you got saved. It's just, a, just another club, you know, let's just, just join that club, and it's all fun and games, and let's have, you know, I like this club better than that club kind of a thing. But you can't even see the kingdom. You can't see what God's purpose is until you've been born again. And today, if there's anyone here that hasn't been, that hasn't, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He talks about entering the kingdom of God. Today, if you've never experienced the new birth, if you've never experienced Christ coming and washing your sins away, today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day you can ask Christ to come into your life. How many here know that you know that you know that you were born again one day? Once you were, how many can say with me, once I was blind? Right? How many have that testimony? I don't know about you. I was raised going to church. I was raised in the Lutheran church. We hear Dennis here talking about the Lutheran church a lot around here. <laughs> but uh, I was raised going, and I, I, and I read the Bible. I did everything I thought was right. I, I felt like I was a Christian. I, my cousin used to make fun of me. He used to call me Wholesome Dave and make fun of me because I wouldn't do the things he wouldn't. I, I thought I was you know, really living a Christian life. Uh, even when I was confirmed, whatever that even is, in the, in the Lutheran church, I'm the one who preached that day. I don't know what I talked about. <laughs> I gave some kind of a message, and I felt real happy about it. I don't know what it all was. But um, I was dead. Dead in sins. Had I died any time before then, I, it would be eternity in hell. How many realize it's not how good you are, whether you go to heaven or not? whether your sins are forgiven. And there was that day when someone shared with me that you must be born again. And I asked Christ into my heart and the very first thing that became real to me, maybe it was maybe different for some of you, but for me, the very first thing that became real to me was this book. All of a sudden, now I had read it before. I had read it several times before I got saved. But the moment I got saved, whoa, this is my daddy talking to me. It felt good. It felt alive, and I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. After I got baptized, and water baptized, and the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, and uh, the, the Bible just became alive to me. I thought, this is, this is a wonderful thing. But unless a person's born again, they can't even see it. It doesn't make any sense to put somebody on church membership if they've not been born again. How many agree with me? <laughs> That's not going to do anything. You can't go up there at the gate and say, well, you know, the pastor said I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the membership, Lord. <laughs> doesn't work. You must be, say it with me, you must be born again because we're born dead in sin. We need new life. Next screen. <clears throat> to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to life and the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Not only forgiveness of sins, what's the rest of it say? An inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. Hey, there's something more. Forgiveness of sins is how we get in. But there's something more. 
an inheritance among them. Reach out and take somebody by the the shoulder next to you. Put your hand around their shoulder next to you or take their hand and say, them. (laughs) Yeah. He's brought you into a family. How How many feel the church is your family? Do you feel that? It's the way God planned it. We're not just supposed to be uh, uh, coming and going, but there's a family relationship there. And it says in Colossians 1, he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of saints in light. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. There's a transfer, there's a translation, there's a, there's a there's, uh, translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. The moment you're born again, you pass from death to life. Is that right? It's not a long process. It's like that. Today is the day of salvation. We must be born again. But go on one step further. Just want to share one quick thing in finishing about this city. Because if we can get our understanding raised up just a little bit, if the Holy Spirit can help us to see how much Jesus loves the church. And like I shared before, as much as the earthly Jerusalem is a timepiece for God of things happening here on earth. The spiritual Jerusalem is a timepiece. What's happening there is important. Some of the things about this city, I won't go into, this is, this is a study all by itself, but one of the things that Abraham was looking for was a city that has what? Foundations. Jesus talked about how important it is when you build a house to lay foundations. What's that mean? Hearing the word, doing it. Foundations. What else do we know about that city? Who's the builder and designer? God. We can't go down to the the successful church bookstore and find a book on how to build churches. It just doesn't work like that. It has to be God. And you know what? Every church family is different. Can you say amen to that? The key is, where does God want me? And this is my next point. It is a city that is compact together. That's from Psalms 122. Let's read that. It says this from Psalms 122. You might remember this scripture. Let's read it together. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together. I I need some helpers up here just for a minute. And one of the things I shared with you, go to the next screen real quickly also. Uh, In Ephesians, it talks about how the body, same wording is used, the body, the church, is fitly joined together. Fitly joined together in every joint. How how many know that if, how many have ever had a dislocated shoulder or a dislocated leg or arm or nose or ear? I don't know. Did something dislocate? It doesn't function, does it? We need to be fitly joined together. Sometimes I went, my daughter's into gymnastics and the way she bends her body, I don't even know if she has bones anymore. But, you know, God has made us to function, but there's a joining and a, a compacting that only the Spirit of God can do. Just because a church has activities doesn't mean they're joined together. Can I hear amen? But without activities, we can't be joined together. It has to be designed by God. God has a purpose. I have a little illustration. Yeah, I have a little illustration here. Um, okay. Um, and, you know, Bible says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. Now, for my next trick, I'm going to do some karate. You want to hold? 
I can't. Okay. You know, just because... And the Bible's... Go to the next scripture of it also real quick. We're kind of moving fast here, but... Um, when they built the temple, the house of God that David prepared everything for, this is a very interesting verse. The house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared in the quarry. That's interesting. And there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. What God wants, he wants us to be fitly to, the process is now. He's fitting us together now. These living stones, that's you and I. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a good stone. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. Now, you know, just because we go out and we gather a, we, we gather a few stones together and we kind of just put them all together. Now they may be, we might get perfectly, I mean there's some stones like this, right? Just perfectly. And there's some people here and, you know, some people and some pastors think it's their job to make every person in the church just right. You know, we got to follow the rules here. This is the rules of our church. This is what we do. And some people love that. Some people love legalism. They love to be told what to do. That's not what church is all about, is it? Right? It's He's the builder. He's the designer. And we, we can get all of our rules and everything all and get everybody all looking just like this and, 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 and all of that, but, but that's not what he wants. And just having a group of people like that together, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Well, we got some stones assembled. Is that what God's talking about? No. Let me show you what God wants to do. And I had a problem with this. Took me, my wife had it all figured out before I came, and, and uh, I couldn't do it. But um, I'm going to give this one to you. I had to put words on it there because this is, this is tricky. Okay, uh, let's see. Not, I'll just hang on there, guys. I'm going to see how strong you really are here. Okay. Yes. My goodness. Okay. Think that'll do it? I don't know. All right. Some people think that when we get to heaven, God's going to change us and make us all, you know, get rid of all the things in our life. But you know what? Up there, there's not going to be any tools used on the stones. You and I are here to allow God to work on our life and to get us in position. Like God comes over to Bill and says, Bill, you know what? There's something in your life I'm just not too happy about here, Bill, let me work on this, and, and you know, and uh, Joe, here's, here's something else, we got to work on that part, and uh, now, Joe, I know you really like this part, but, you know, let me take care of that, and, and uh, Andy, you know, and, well, I don't know what to say about Andy, he's the pastor's <laughs> son, you know, <laughs> if I say, t- I'll get in trouble if I say, t- yeah, <laughs> all right, you know, but God is working on us, and here's the thing, there's a pattern for every stone, uh, these look a little similar, but they're not the same at all. In fact, I found that out when I tried to put them together. Yeah, Jeff was down here laughing at me. He says, your wife could do that, and you, could, you can't. I said, I could not figure it out. It was just complicated. But God knows how to use even someone else in your life. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 
God knows how to use people in our life. Sometimes we run away from that. You know, we, you know, we, don't, we don't want that kind of stuff. We don't want this. This doesn't feel very good, does it? It doesn't feel good. It's not comfortable. Everybody wants to be comfortable. Well, let's face it. Not all the stones, not all the stones are going to be part of that city. But there are going to be some, and it might as well be us, right? Right? God knows how to work in each of our lives. He is designing, and, and we can't see it with our eyes. And we can't even be judges of it. Maybe you've been to a church and you could say, oh, there's a lot of disorder in this place. But maybe God sees something entirely different. Who's the builder and designer of the church? That's right. Let's see if we can, can you guys put that together for me? Let's see. Uh, oh my goodness. I think they got it. No, I, uh, oh no. Huh? Whoa, all right. <laughs> now, can you just hold up another 10 minutes for me there? <laughs> There's a place for everyone. And it had to be cut just right. All right, let's you can put those down if you can. Yeah. <laughs> He's got some sweat up there already. I was sweating this morning trying to move him into every position possible. Thank you, brothers. If the earthly Jerusalem is a timepiece for God of things happening down here, the heavenly Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is a timepiece. You and I, just like David told Solomon, rise and build. You and I, like Solomon, need to be those that rise up and work and see it brought together, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. Part of it is going out and getting new souls. We need to, sometimes we've got to go to the quarry and we've got to use some dynamite and we've got to blow some rock out. How many have seen evangelism like you need some dynamite sometimes, right? That's part of what it is to see this church built. We've got to win souls. We've got to find souls for the Lord. And this gives us a whole other purpose. This is not just getting them out of hell. We're not just saving a soul to get them out of hell. We're saving them to get them into God's purpose because Jesus loves the church. He loves the church, Bring them into, bringing them into God's eternal purpose. We saw that heavenly Jerusalem, it's the bride of Christ, it's, it's the glory of God that's there. That's what he's building. Next, is there another scripture after this? I think so, right? Once the city, the bride is finally ready, and that's that time, you know, even Jesus doesn't know that's what Jesus himself, he says, no man knows the day nor the hour, not the angels in heaven, neither the Son of Man. You know why Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back for the bride? He couldn't keep the secret from us. <laughs> he loves the church so much. It's hard to keep secrets from your wife, right? When you love and you want to share all the good things. He couldn't keep the secret from us. That's my interpretation anyway. But when the Lord builds up Zion... He shall appear in his glory. When Solomon's temple was built, there was an outpour of glory. We're going to see some glory, some majors of that here on earth, but I'm looking for that time. The Bible says our life 
is hid with Christ in God, and when Christ appears in glory, then we shall appear with him. I want to be one of those stones in that city. Not everyone's going to be a stone in that city, but there are going to be some, and it might as well be you and I, right? One more scripture. Let us rejoice, read this with me. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The next scripture, what's our answer? What's the spirit and the bride say? Come, Lord Jesus. You know, our goal is not just to bring a bunch of stones into the church. That's a good thing. It has to, has to happen. We have to do that. But just having an assembly of stones is not what the scripture means about assembling together. He wants to assemble us. He wants to put us together. Again, today, if you haven't, let's all stand. And if you haven't been born again, just every eye closed for right now. If you haven't been born again, and today's the day. I, I really feel that that even from the song service forward, there was a moving of the Spirit here. And I know people's lives were being touched. All you need to do is pray. And in fact, why don't you all pray after me and, and just say after me today, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And that's why you died on the cross to wash away my sins. Jesus, as a sinner, I come to you. I believe that you can save me. I believe your blood can cleanse me. I know that you rose from the dead and that you are Lord of all. And I invite you to be Lord of my life. Jesus, come into my heart save me. Amen. If anybody here has prayed that for the very first time and you felt it from your heart, today is the day for you to be saved. Today is the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody pray that for the very first time? You just felt it from your heart? Anyone here today? All right. And let's pray as, as a church. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to come and do everything that he wants to do in our lives. Remember, Jesus as our King David, Jesus has provided everything necessary. He's provided everything we could possibly need to be ready for that day. So we can never say, Lord, I just didn't have enough grace. I just didn't have enough ability. Lord, I, I, it was just too hard. Lord, my circumstances didn't allow. We could never say that to God. Everything we need, he's made provision for. All we need to do is surrender ourselves. Like Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable in his sight.
Just present your bodies to the Lord right now, your bodies, your life, and say, Lord, I understand today, Lord, how important the church is to you, that, Lord, that that's what you came for. You came to build a church. We're living in the church age. We're living in the last days. We're living in a times upon whom the, where the people upon whom the ends of the ages has come, Lord. We're living in these times, Lord. And Father, we ask you, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're building, Lord. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, Lord, we give our bodies to you. We give our hands to you. We give our feet to you, Lord. We give our lives to you, Lord. Work in us, Lord. Show us, Lord, areas of our lives that need to change, Lord. Areas of our schedule that needs to be reworked. But whatever it takes, Lord, we want you to work in our lives. We want to be a part of what you're building in these last days. Jesus, Holy Spirit, come and birth that prayer in our hearts today. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person here today, Lord. They haven't just assembled here for no reason. There's a purpose. And I thank you, Lord, for working in us. I thank you for the wonderful, precious things that you're working in these souls, some that have been in this church for so many years, Lord, seasoned and prepared, some stones that are probably even now ready to be taken to that heavenly Jerusalem already. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for every precious soul here, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the new ones that have come. We thank you for new souls that are going to be coming. And we thank you for bringing us together as a church, Lord. We thank you for what you're speaking to us, Father. We give you all the praise. Lord, we love you today. Come quickly, Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for your interest in the Dover Foursquare Church. My prayer wish is that you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is our desire that our preaching and leading the congregation will always be word-centered and applicable to life. It is our desire that our worship be the pathway unto further transformation into the likeness of Jesus. With everything we do, our prayer is that we will rest in God's love and Christ's mighty work on the cross. We are blessed with a loving pastoral staff. Chris and Anna Ewing are pastors of our youth ministries. David and Marietta Slentz are pastors of our children's ministries. Our staff is eager to relate truth to life. All of the ministries interrelate, and we desire to give place to the flow of God's grace at all times. Our church address is 302 East Slingluff Avenue, Dover, Ohio. And our church phone number is 330-343-6142. Our website address is www.doverfoursquare.org.